Was Jesus led astray with delusional narcissism? Was he just a crazed lunatic? Or does Jesus demonstrate for us what true humility is? We look in Romans chapter 8, as we've been doing for the last several weeks, and we see that Paul tells the church at Rome, he says, God predestined, God predetermined, God had a purpose, and that purpose was, at least in part, that we would be transformed into the image of Christ. Paul tells the church at Colossae, he says, you are being renewed into the image or being renewed to the true knowledge of the image of the one who created you, meaning Christ. As Christians, we are to be the image of Jesus. And the question we asked ourselves a couple weeks ago is, when people see me, when people see you, are they seeing Jesus? And so in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says, put on these things, therefore. And he tells them to clothe themselves with several things, but one of those things is humility. This morning as we think about Jesus, I want you to think about Jesus as a child, Jesus as he grew. How did he interact with other people? to demonstrate humility. I want you to think about how Jesus interacted with those he taught and his disciples. How did he demonstrate humility? Think about Jesus in his death. How did he demonstrate humility? It's easy for us when we do think about Jesus in his death. That's when we think about his humility. That's when it's easiest for us to think about Jesus being humble, that he would suffer, that he would go through that death. But as we think about Jesus and his interaction, even as a child, with those close to him, he demonstrated humility. I want us to think about humility not just by looking at Jesus' death, because that's the easy one for us. I want us to think about Jesus and his humility and how he interacted with others because that's what makes it hard for us. Because if I'm going to be an image of Jesus in humility, I need to be that image when I interact with others. So let's begin this morning by thinking about Jesus and how he interacted with others, especially even with those close to him, his family. And we begin by looking in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, as you are probably familiar, Jesus and his family make their way down to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish feasts. And the text tells us in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, that this was something they did every year at the time of the Passover. But I want you to notice how old Jesus is. Luke chapter 2, verse 42. It says, when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. Now, Jesus is 12 years old. I want you to think about where were you in your life when you were 12 years old? What were you like when you were 12 years of age? Notice what happened. It's a story most of us are familiar with. 
maybe not all, but notice what happens in this story. Verse 43 says, And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. But supposed him to be in the caravan, and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. So Jesus has been apart from his parents for at least four days. Depending on if three days is after they left to go home, or three days is after they've already been in Jerusalem looking for him. So at least four days. Now it doesn't tell us how it came to be that Jesus was still in Jerusalem. Was, I don't think that Jesus was trying to deceive his parents. You get the impression that they just suppose that he's with someone else in their family group that's traveling, and Jesus has stayed behind. They lost track of Jesus. That's always a funny thing in my mind. Because remember when Mary gives birth to Jesus, you have angels, you have shepherds that are coming to her saying, hey, we saw visions uh, that said this is the Son of God. Uh, she herself had uh, the angel Gabriel stand before her and say, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. So can you imagine being Mary, and this son is now 12 years old, and you've lost your son. But not just any son, you lost the Son of God. Can you imagine that? Have you ever left your child somewhere? Maybe you lose them in the store, how frantic you feel. Can you imagine the Son of God? I can't imagine that. So they go back to Jerusalem. And they're looking for Jesus. And after three days, they find him. And where is he at? He's in the temple. Now, if you're just a 12-year-old boy looking to get in some trouble, would you be hanging out at church? Would you be hanging out at the preacher's office? Probably not. That's not where most of us were when we were 12 years old, right? And yet, that's where Jesus is at. Now notice how Mary and Joseph respond to Jesus as they find him there. Verse 47 says, uh, Speaking of those that were there in the temple listening to him, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Well, look at verse 48. When they saw him, meaning Mary and Joseph, his parents, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you're looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Now, some translations may say about my father's business. Some translations may say about my father's things. But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And notice verse 51. He continued in subjection to them. And his mother treated or treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. Now, as we look at the story, we may say, how does this show Jesus' humility? 
But as you look at the story, I want to point out a couple things to you. First of all, uh, Jesus, for whatever reason, whether his parents just left and they just uh, imagined, I, I, can under, I, can, I can see this happening. I can see this happening because I can imagine that uh, Mary and Joseph are there with all their friends and relatives, and maybe Mary thinks in her mind, this is all speculation, by the way, none of this is scriptural. This is just Ron Boots thinking. But I can see Mary thinking, oh, Joseph let Jesus go and, and hang out with his cousins or his relatives over here. And I can see Joseph thinking, well, certainly Mary uh, knows where Jesus is at. Uh, she's a good mother, after all. And uh, maybe she's, and I can see that happening. What you, you, you have a miscommunication here, it seems to me. And they don't know that Jesus is still in the temple. Now, notice that Jesus says, when his parents come to him, they say, what, why, you, why have you treated us this way? We've been anxiously looking. And you don't get the sense. It's the tone of the passage doesn't lend itself to think that he's given a smart aleck response here. But he's truly inquisitive, somewhat dumbfounded, perhaps. Well, didn't you know that I had to be about my father's things? What does that statement tell us about Jesus' perception of himself? He knows who he is. And he knows that he has a mission and a task and that he needs to be about his father's business or his business things. The word that's translated house here it's not the normal word for house. It's very broad, and that's why some translations say things. That's why some translations say business. Jesus' point is, I'm doing my, God, my father's work. And it doesn't mean Joseph's. And the work that he's doing is sitting in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, the Jewish leadership, asking them questions and answering their questions. As we talked about in Bible class, this was a common way of teaching. He's there, and he's just not asking them questions. Hey, what do you think about the latest sports scores? These are serious religious questions, and everyone that's in the temple is hearing his response, and they're amazed at his answers. He's not being a snotty-nosed little punk here. He's very reverent, very task-oriented, as he's there in the temple. But the way that Jesus shows his humility here is in verse 51 following, when after his parents come to retrieve him, did you notice the text said that he stayed in subjection to his parents? He knows that he is the Son of God. He knows what his task is. He knows what his mission is. And yet, as a 12-year-old about to enter the teenage years, <laughs> he's in subjection to his parents. And the text says that he grew physically. He grew in stature. But he also grew in favor with God. And then did you notice that? and with men. People that interacted with Jesus as a 12-year-old, as a young man growing up, he grew in their favor. They liked him. Now, if you're a teenage boy and you're the son of God, 
Can't you do some things with that? Can't you do some things with that? How many of us have known teenage boys that have had athletic prowess? Or maybe they've been good looking, or maybe they've been intelligent, and you just want to wring their neck. Know anybody like that? And they're just so arrogant, you just want to teach them a few things with the back of your hand, right? But you don't. And here's Jesus, and everyone likes him. Now keep that thought in the back of your mind and turn over to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55 following. What do I do with my Bible? Here it is. And here Jesus is in the height of his ministry. And Jesus has come back to Nazareth where he's been raised. We'll start in verse 53. It says, when Jesus finished these parables, he departed from there. And he came to his hometown, that's Nazareth. And he began teaching them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom? And these miraculous powers, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Now think about what we just read in Luke chapter 2. Jesus is now a man in his 30s. And he goes back home to Nazareth. And for the very first time, the people in Nazareth are seeing Jesus do miracles. And they're hearing him teach in parables. And they're amazed at his teaching, and they are amazed at his miracles. What does that mean? That means for the last 18 years, Jesus, as the Son of God, did not spend his time doing miracles to impress his neighbors. Jesus did not go out and try to impress people with his teaching ability. The people at Nazareth don't disrespect teach Jesus because they know him as being a snotty-nosed teenage boy. They don't believe Jesus because he's grown up with them and they know his mom and dad, they know his brothers, and they know his sisters. And they say his dad was just a carpenter. Who's this guy to do these miracles and to teach these things? You see, Jesus was humble. Because as a teenage boy and as a young man in his 20s, having the power and the authority of God, he could have done so many things to impress so many people, to get so much attention. And apparently nobody in that town had seen him do those things or talk that way. 
And so now that he's teaching and in his ministry, now they're seeing these miracles. And now they're hearing this teaching. Because Jesus was humble. Jesus wasn't trying to get attention or impress folks. So much so that even his own brothers did not believe in him. Look at John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 1, following. One of the Jewish festivals is upon, upon him once again, but this time Jesus is an adult, and his younger brothers don't really like him too much. Notice this, John chapter 7, verse 2. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to, into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast, because my time is not yet fully come. And having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. Can you imagine growing up a brother of the Son of God? I think that would be kind of hard. Your brother never makes mistakes. Your brother never sins. Your brother never does things wrong. That'd be tough. That would be tough. But his brothers see Jesus as being a glory hound. They hear evidently of the works that he's doing. They say, if you do these works, go do it in public so everyone can see you. Because someone who seeks to be recognized, that's what they would do. Where's the humility in this story for Jesus? The humility, I believe, is that Jesus could have done any number of things to his brothers, could have said any number of things to them. I, I can't imagine being in Jesus' shoes and someone saying something like that and just really showing them, you want to see some works, buddy? You want to hear some things? Let me show you. Let me tell you. But Jesus doesn't do that. He simply says, my hour is not yet come. My task is to show the world their sin. You guys go ahead and go up to the feast. What kind of an answer is that? Aren't we out for blood? Aren't we out to show folks what we know, how much we know, how much we can do? We're Americans. We have our rights. We have our power. You can't tell me what to do. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, you guys go up to the feast. My time's not come yet. A very simple answer. Very humble. But you see, that's how Jesus interacted with his family and with those close to him. As we continue working and moving through the book of John and we look in Jesus' ministry, we see how Jesus interacts with different folks. I want you to turn back to chapter John chapter 6, verse 1. I want you to notice that there are crowds that are following Jesus because he is able to do miracles. 
And he takes pity on them because they have nothing to eat. So he feeds them. He feeds uh, thousands of folks. That's John chapter 6, verse 1, all the way through verse 15. Verse 15, though, notice. So, so Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force and make him king, withdrew again into the mountain by himself alone. If Jesus was delusional, if he was narcissistic, if he wasn't really the Son of God, if he wasn't really the Messiah, and he was wanting to be king, this would have been a great day for him because the crowds, seeing that he's able to feed thousands of people, want to make him king. I mean, who doesn't want a king that will give you free bread? That's what the Roman Caesars had been doing. But Jesus, knowing that they want to make him king, he withdraws. He goes off to a quiet place. He sends his disciples on to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He catches up with them later. Look at verse 22. The next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There, uh, there came other small boats from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered and said to them, truly, truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate loaves and were filled. Do not do the work for, the, for food, food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father has set his seal. Now I want you to notice that as Jesus continues to talk here, his message as he talks with the crowd is, you need to be consumed by me. Or you need to consume me, rather. That's kind of a grotesque analogy that Jesus makes to the rest of this discussion about the fact you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. But what Jesus is saying is, is you need to focus on the words that I'm saying. You need to focus on the teaching that I'm giving you. Not follow me because I'm going to give you food. Not follow me because I'm going to do great miracles and you want to see the greatest sign that I do. But you need to listen to the words that I say and the things that I teach. And here's why. Look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me I will, come, will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. You see what Jesus is saying there? The reason you need to feed on my words is because I speak the things that my Father has given me to say. I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, how many of us can say that? How many of us say, the only thing I ever do, I do because it's the will of my Father? That is to say, I only do the will of my Father. That's what I'm focused on. That's what my passion is. 
That's what my mission is. Or we might say, I only do the things that, my God, that my God the Father wants me to do <laughs> because I give us credence, right? Or everything I do is what God wants me to do. Might be nice to say. But you see, Jesus is saying, everything I do, I do just as my Father has directed me. I'm not here to serve myself. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, everything I do is the will of my Father. That's what my focus is. That's what my mission is. Not my will, but his will. And so Jesus interacts with the crown. He says, you need to consume me because my words are from my Father. I only say what he wants me to say. In fact, in John chapter 12, as we turn over to John chapter 12, Jesus says, this is the purpose of my teaching. John chapter 12, verse 44. Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him in the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that my commandment is eternal life, or I know that his commandment, rather, is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Now, folks, that's humility. He has all power, all authority, and he only speaks as his Father told him to speak. He can do all these miracles. He can teach and wise saints so that crowds gather around him. People of all walks of life are coming to him, and he's only saying things exactly as his Father told him how to say them. He's not making it up on his own. He's not interpreting things for himself and saying, here, this is just as good. That's humility. The same humility that we saw when he was back there in Jerusalem and he leaves to follow his parents and he is in subjection to his parents. That's humility. That's how Jesus interacted with his disciples. That's how Jesus interacted with those close to him. He was focused on his task, his mission. He didn't use or abuse his power, his authority, his rights to do what he wanted or to get things his way. He was humble. And he was here to serve. We've talked about how he interacted with his family with those close to him. We've talked about how he interacted with his disciples, but now think about Jesus in his death. How he suffered and what he did. Turn over to Matthew chapter 27, if you will, please. And notice Jesus even in his death. Matthew chapter 27, Jesus has been arrested. He's been taken before Caiaphas and Ananias, the high priests, and they have judged him in a kangaroo court, if you will. Not the full Sanhedrin, but kind of behind closed doors. Now they've taken him 
to the governor's mansion. Notice Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. It says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear the many things they testify against, against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Here's Jesus with all this power, all this authority. And he could have made any number of defenses against the things, the false charges that the Jewish leaderships were, Jewish leadership were bringing against him before Pilate, but he doesn't answer any of those things except to answer the question which Pilate puts before him, which is, are you really the king of the Jews? Pilate didn't believe that. Jesus says, it is as you say. And you can look at John chapter 18, and you can find a fuller discussion that Jesus has with Pilate, but it's essentially the same. In John's account, Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, did you figure that out on your own, or did the others tell you about me? Again, I don't think he's trying to be smart mouth. I think he's just trying, he's trying to say, who told you? And Pilate says, I'm not a Jew, am I? They brought you to me themselves. But you see, Jesus doesn't answer any charges. He simply follows through because of his task, his mission, and his purpose. And so you know what happens. Pilate has Jesus scourged and then led out to crucifixion. And as we turn over to Luke's account, we see the last act, perhaps, of Jesus' humility. Luke chapter 23. And as he's hanging there on the cross, being ridiculed by every number of folks that walk by, he's even ridiculed by two thieves that are crucified alongside of him. Luke chapter 23, verse 39. One of those criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other one answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And indeed we are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. A lot has been said about this thief on the cross. I think wrongly applying things, speculating things about this thief. But here's what I know about this thief. This thief recognized Jesus as being the Messiah. And even as they're hanging there on the cross together, about to die, this thief still believes that somehow Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. This thief has belief in Jesus. He recognizes Jesus' innocence. And his statement to Jesus is, Remember me when you come in your kingdom. Where's the humility for Jesus? The humility for Jesus is even in his death, even as 
crowds are walking by mocking him, even as he's been scourged, even as, as the Roman soldiers have put a fake crown of thorns on his head, even as those Roman soldiers have, have put a fake robe around him as if to say he's a king and then ripped it off, ripping open those wounds of the scourging. And even as the crowds and the Jewish leadership are there saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And a sign making fun of him is above his head saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And everyone is mocking Jesus. As he hangs there in agony, his thoughts are not on himself. But they're with that thief as that thief hangs in his own agony, justly deserved by the own man's admission. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Persian word for garden. Same word that Jesus uses to describe where Lazarus is, and Jesus tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Hades. But Jesus says, thy rich man was in paradise, in the garden, not the place of torment where the rich man was. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, a place of comfort, a place of grace. Jesus wasn't worried about himself. He was worried about that thief. When people look at us, do they see the humility of Jesus in us? Rather than standing up for ourselves and standing up for our rights and, and using our, uh, our authority, our powers, and our abilities to get back at someone, are we willing to follow authority? Subjection is an ugly word today. Jesus was in subjection to his physical parents. He was in subjection to his heavenly father. Jesus, with all the authority that exists, said, I only speak the things that my father has told me to say and speak. Are we humble? Or do we step out on a limb and say, this is what I think. This is what we ought to do. This is what I want to teach. Or are we humble and say, I'm only going to teach what God tells me to teach. When we interact with others, and those people sometimes abuse us, sometimes make fun of us, sometimes ridicule us. Maybe we have a coworker that we just really wish, oh, that guy's going to get his someday. Are we humble? And just let that go. And say, I'm going to have the same attitude that I saw in Jesus, who even though he had all authority and power and could have done any number of things to those folks, just let it go. You see, that's humility. I could get my way. I could force my way through. I could uphold my rights. I could do any number of things, but I'm not going to because I want people to see the humility of Jesus in me.
Do people see Christ in us? Do they see that we've been transformed, that we've been renewed to a true knowledge of God, a true knowledge of Christ, by letting people see Jesus in us? If we are humble, then we're on the path to letting people see Jesus in us. And when they see that image of Jesus, they're more likely to say, come into my house. Talk to me about this Jesus. Tell me more about this Jesus. They're more likely to have their hearts and their minds open to wanting to see more about Jesus. But you see, when I am arrogant, when I am too proud to just let things go, that's when people say, that person calls themselves a Christian and acts that way. We need to let people see Jesus in us.